0: Comment and share. All right, go for it. Good morning, everyone. It's the one and only V, the Gorilla economist, coming to you live on this edition of Mornings with V and CJ. Aka Rogue Mornings, uh, you can follow us on RogueMoney.net. Check us out on Twitter at the Rogue Money, Rogue Money Facebook, Steam it, DTube, um, and every other single platforming app known to humanity. I mean, we're just everywhere. You just Google us. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Okay, you Bing it. You, if you Bing us, we're there too. <laughs> anyway, CJ's working the airwaves, and we got a great load of stuff to go through. And we have the one and only London Paul with us as well. He is back. Well, he was here. He was here Monday, but he's back again today on Wednesday. But this is a great time for me and Paul to catch up because he was in Russia. He was in Saint Petersburg, actually talking with people with critical thinking capabilities. And for those of us who are, aw- aw- you know, awoken, uh, who, who are awoken to the goings on and the musings of madmen in this world, uh, London Paul is no stranger uh, to us, and uh, we all know how refreshing it is when you're meeting someone in another country and they quite know exactly what you're talking about and they're on the same wavelength as you because let's be honest here folks many of us are ostracized from family many of us our family members think we're weird many of us uh bemoan when we show up to thanksgiving dinner and they're like uh here he comes again oh here she comes again Well, it's quite refreshing to be in another place in the world where people are awake and are shocked and incredulous as to the certain things that the majority, the mass majority of uh, those of us who live, uh, not uh, the us who are, you know, part of programs like this, but, you know, the the masses uh, that are out there in the United States and what they believe in. So, Paul, how's it going, buddy?
1: Yeah, good morning, uh, uh, V, and obviously good morning, afternoon, evening, and middle of the night. I don't know where everyone else is listening. Yeah, I'm just saying the weather's incredible here, and we have to make the best of it in the UK because we we don't normally get sustained spells of nice weather. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's carpe diem every single day as soon as the weather gets good. like When May rolls around, late April, early May rolls around in New York, same thing, man. It's like... Carpe Diem, seize the day, enjoy as much as you can, because you know that hellish cold is right around the corner.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, timer.
0: You know, before we begin, I like to start with the funniest article of the day. Sometimes you find those gems that are just hilarious. Sometimes you find something that is the universe, once again, invalidating all that is SJW and Lib Uh, And this is uh, one of the things here, Paul. Um, Customers rage as Starbucks turns into a homeless shelter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I Um, I love this. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's kind of uh, it. It's ironic, is that people. A lot of people are moan and complain about things. It's like you get a lot of celebrities going on about how you know. we need to take in all these immigrants, and then people say, "Well, will you have one living with you?" And then they make excuses. I why? Know. I would never have one. That's not with possible. That's, no, I couldn't so possibly mean- do that. So yeah. yeah, you have this kind of sanctimonious attitude where it's they say, it, and then of course, as soon as it becomes a reality and it's on their doorstep, then they they lash out and get very angry about it. And obviously, yeah, the Starbucks story is a, gr- a great example of that. Well, yeah, they've turned them into homeless shelters, and uh, yeah, that's great. It's great. Um, this is what happens. It just have...
0: shows you how insatiable the left is. <laughs> it just shows you how insatiable. I mean, look. I mean, there, there, there's a picture of a guy in, in this article, CJ. If you scroll down, <laughs> if you scroll down, and this is the problem. My better half told me if they do this because the Starbucks CEO is like, "We welcome everybody. Nobody's going to be excluded. If you want to use a Starbucks bathroom, come and use it." Well, here's a picture, folks. It's a black and white photo of this gentleman. He has the baby changing table open. And what is he doing? He is preparing a very hot load of heroin to be injected directly into his veins. How how loving, how tolerant is the left that they are making sure that this drug addict, okay, this addict messing with God knows one of the most lethal drugs in the world has a safe space so that he could safely go into a bathroom, put down a baby changing table, and inject a hot load of heroin into his veins, and then lie down on that beautifully cleaned porcelain and tiled and linoleum floors, and just sit there and convulse for the next 45 minutes to two hours while people are waiting online, paying customers are waiting online, to use that restroom. But that doesn't matter. Those those paying customers what matters is that Johnny boy over here was able to get his high and get his fix. Oh how loving it is, Paul. It's so loving when I see stuff like this. I'm 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 elated that that Starbucks is doing this.
1: <laughs> I said th- you know what though I think the problem is there's there's a kind of bi- a bigger broader context to all this is in all the coming changes when we have all the the eventual culmination of the reset and this massive paradigm shift is there's so many people out there who, who feel them out there, you know, have a very comfortable existence that suddenly that is going to change dramatically. Yeah. And therefore, and you're going to have this huge kind of socioeconomic shift that's going to shock a lot of people and people in, in the, this kind of first world where we, you know, people in the West believe they are are largely clueless as to what's coming going to happen, but they're going to find out pretty soon. And for a lot of them, it's not going to be very pretty because they've got everything invested in paper markets and paper assets. And, you know, and I think there's an, uh, the, you know, there's a thing that, and it's true, the happiest, most grounded people that you ever meet are the ones that, you know, don't believe in having, but believe in being and living yeah and there's a lot of people are going to have to have that sort of sobering thought and change in their whole mentality as to to what's going on so there's a you know i think that's something that is going to become a major major feature and it, and in a way it will people will either have to cha- embrace change or change will crush them in in the process and i think you know, when we have people complaining about these things going on in starbucks the question is how many of these people might end up not saying like the person taking drugs or something, but how many of these people are going to end up in a similar situation where they're really, really suddenly they've gone from their comfort zone to having nothing relatively. And how are they going to handle that deal with that? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Correct, man. Absolutely. Correct. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There has to be a rapid mindset change. And it's, it's, you know, I was uh, driving around town uh, a few days ago, a beautiful day, and I was just driving around, I had the windows down, and just moving from an affluent place of, uh, of, of the part of the town that I'm in to the more ghetto place, and I'm, I'm saddened because some of these buildings are these old brownstone houses that have been around f- since the 1900s, uh, 1920s, these were these were one of the most desirable properties along the new york hudson river valley just amazing amazing properties what what you know captains of industries used to live there i mean there were hotels where aristocrats would come in vacation in and now it's all like crack houses it's all it's basically a democrat's paradise everywhere the democrats go they destroy they absolutely um, make into a, an absolute crap hole wherever they are and and I thought to myself, driving through this entire just just a, a dilapidated part of the of of, of the uh, place where I live. Uh, I, I don't live there, but it's a, it's, it's next town over. Um, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you have an entire generation gone. Okay, an entire generation. Which are the millennials? I mean, there, there are swaths of millennials that are awoken to uh, to you know they're aware and awake to what is going on in the world, and but the vast majority of millennials are idiots. They're the most useless generation to have ever been born on the face of this planet. The most useless, and I'm not talking about you know kids that to, to you know young people or millennials who you know who listen to programs such as this. I'm talking about just the out there mainstream millennial is an idiot, lacking severely in skills. And I was very upset at the fact that, that these crazy far-left policies and politics is what's created this. Then I was thinking about you know, ethnic groups, minority groups that have been absolutely disenfranchised because they are, they are lied to. They are, they are led by Judas goats. They are led by sheep-dipped Judas goats who belong to the uh, far-left establishment. And they're kept on these these mental plantations without any sort of room to grow. And it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And, I'm, and Paul, my, my hope and prayer is, along with you, is that with this coming geopolitical and the geo-economical, most importantly, reset, that all these things need to get purged. I mean, we are, we are a festering system in the West. It really is. Our, our currencies are toxic. Our economies are debt-addled. I mean, the G7, I like to call them the insolvent seven. <laughs> um, you know, when you look at every single swath, we are literally our economies are held together by electronic duct tape. Our military is uh, is is uh, and military operations globally are pu- are pushed out there, not utilizing high tech or 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 uh, spectrum dominating weapons platforms. No, they're just put and pushed out there, and more funding on weapons is done. Why? How? Through sheer marketing and propaganda. That's all it is. We have become a paper tiger in the fullest sense of the word, Paul. A paper tiger with a third world economy to match. The only thing that is missing here is a third world currency. And, Paul, you and I both know that is going to be remedied very soon.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting. One of the – excuse me, sorry about that. One of the subjects we've got up for discussion is the whole getting, us, you know, the second special counsel involved. Um. Associated with everything that's un, unraveled recently in the US. Now, you know, I think it's worth putting a bit of context in from my own perspective. The whole draining the swamp thing, back when Trump was elected in twenty sixteen, we made the point that his whole job was to take a wrecking ball to the Cabal and and that remains the case. And I you know, I think it's worth reiterating that. And everyone's got very impatient. And I understandably I know why people are impatient to see kind of see some tangible progress but we've said this many times you know the likes of the fbi the cia even the doj and everyone else the mainstream media for that matter are all in the crosshairs, and and that is becoming more and more self-evident my only slight concern and i think there might be a rational explanation for this we're seeing a lot of emphasis put on democrats the obama administration clinton what about the neocons and the republicans because there's there's certainly dirty elements on both sides of the equation now i think there are reasons for why it makes sense that we're not really paying much attention to that because the incumbent president trump so the is part of the republican party and that's just one obvious thing so but there is a huge amount of focus just on the democrats and that draining the swamp but there's a whole draining the swamp on the other side of the fact that needs to be addressed and Parking the issue of Trump's foreign policy, which I do have concerns about. The draining the swamp internally, I think, remains on course. And it's better, as I from my perspective, to allow the you know them to impale themselves. And I think gradually, you know, that they're, they're coming out with comments and in the process they're just shining them the the you know the spotlight more and more on them. Uh, we'll park about the the issue because we can talk about the special council um, or the the requirement to to have another special council but i think whatever we think is going on currently you can guarantee it's going to go far far wider and deeper than than is currently understood and that's for very obvious reasons and i think the wider the scope the wider the spotlight you're going to have doggy dog on this in the swamp sense as they're going to consume each other and in the process of consuming each other the net will grow wider and wider and and they'll consume each other even more my my only biggest question in all this is and well there's two things as this progresses bearing in mind rather like the uk how many people in the us in reality really understand what's going on i think there are increasing numbers and that's encouraging but like any western nation the vast majority are largely still ignorant of what's going on now how is this going to be documented how is it going people made to understand what is actually happening so the average british person the average european or in this case in with all the developments in the us the average american person how are they going to be able to understand what is going on and put the context uh in in in, in, in terms of what is actually happening and how are they going to react when they realize the magnitude of, I mean, they'll have heard draining the swamp and only people who have latched onto that and learned things as people who haven't, but when they realize the magnitude of it and what it actually entails, how is the, the average American going to respond to that? And there are things that concern me even more than the ongoing developments. The ongoing developments are very interesting and and certainly are increasingly, and I think, you know, the whole idea of this investigation into why, the fbi the cia and god knows who one and else, anyone else was you know had the trump uh, campaign under surveillance is another huge example but i think this is the tip of many many icebergs and and it's how you make people understand that in tangible ways and also how are they going to react because it's like anything if you suddenly have 300 million people in a nation suddenly going hang on we had Watergate, and, and, you know, certain generations will, will remember that very clearly. But we've got something that I think is quite legitimately and arguably far greater than Watergate. How, how is 300 million people going to react to that when they realize what's actually going on? Because they're going to be angry. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to be upset. Where are they going to direct that to? And I think that, for me, is a big concern.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think um, it, it is a big concern. Where are they going? Where are going to invent their things? But you don't know something though. It, it's like there's a good 160 million people that have voted for Trump, um, and probably that number has probably grown even more. Uh, the more as even the most um, biased of, uh, of 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 opinion polls are showing Trump's approval rating to be quite high at this point. I think there's a great deal of Americans. I think at this point, I think a good majority, I would say, of Americans, I think a good 60% of the country is really pissed off as to what's going on. I think there's 40% of the country that is completely and totally gone. I, I don't think they'll ever wake up. I think their minds are completely gone, Paul. I think there's no recourse for these people. I think they've gone into a point of political reprobation mentally speaking where they're incapable because they're so inured by the paradigm this, this false narrative that they've been told their entire life and when that reality is snatched and peeled away from them and their icons their political icons the Clintons the these uh so many of these members of the deep state when they go down what is going to be their recourse, these crazies? And that's a very good question here, man. That's a very, very good question. What will these crazies do? Because they are nuts, Paul. They're absolutely
1: certified. Oh, uh, absolutely, undoubtedly. And I do I do agree. That's why I said I think increasing numbers of people in the U.S. have. You know, Trump's done a great job in waking a lot of people, even the people who don't agree with it. Mm. At least they're listening to what he's saying. Okay, they might rant and rave about it and not like it, but – but at least on some level, they're, they're listening and engaging in that. And of course, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no doubt about it. Trump won the last election by a, a significantly larger majority. I mean, they tra- yeah, they talk about rigging the election. Yeah, they tried to rig it, and he still won. I mean, I mean, I think it's, from my understanding, he probably won by maybe 30%. It was that. It was a huge landslide victory. Yeah. right. So I do agree with you. I think there's a lot of people who... Who, yeah, you absolutely have been engaged by what he said, and that has helped massively. But I think it is—it's just a question of how people will react to the the extent of it. And as I said, I do I do have concerns that it there is a, and I understand why from Trump's perspective, he has to—he can't focus too much on what's going on in the in terms of the neocons and the Republicans. But I understand that. But I do hope at some point there is a rounded shift towards draining the swamp because it applies across the entire you know political process and beyond and all the the, the you know organizations uh, like the cia etc that support that mechanism and of course it's not everyone in all these organizations either but i it my, i just i don't think it's going to be a problem but i it's something when i think of something even if it seems highly unlikely i don't, we don't want to see a situation where yeah, they drain the swamp and and all the light shone on certain parts and certain aspects, the light isn't shone on it. Because to drain the swamp, you have to clear it completely. You can't go, well, actually, we'll just get rid of three quarters of it and the other quarter will leave. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that's going to happen. But lately, I've seen a huge amount of focus on, on Democrat side of the, the equation. And I'm going, at what point are we going to see the focus shift onto the to the Republican side and the neocons? And we know from experience, as many people listening do that there's a lot of very nasty elements within the neocons for sure. And and their involvement. And I think certainly they've had some far too much influence recently in terms of, of US foreign policy.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, for all the reasons why we were concerned by the likes of Pompeo and Bolton and, you know, Pompeo did this huge one eighty shift on Iran. All of a sudden that concerns me. Because he was very measured, before, you know, when he was in the CIA. In fact, often he was seen as someone who wasn't playing ball and was, was, you know, not playing devil's advocate, but certainly questioning a lot of the official narrative. And now suddenly he's just gone full throttle either way, and he's made a lot of comments recently that have got a lot of people inside Europe and beyond going, "What? Where's he going with this? What the hell is he saying this for?" Mm-hmm. Because there's no substance to uh, to. To you know, back it up, and the and the reaction from the European Union over his speech was was savage. So uh, you know, when, when he made the comments on Monday with regards to Iraq, the reaction's been very very animated, and and that's pretty unusual. I mean, you cannot often get you know publicly people will make a diplomatic comment, privately they might be animated, but when they're publicly very animated, that's that gives you an indication i think they're a bit sort of dumbfounded as to how he's had that shift so you know in the end it might all play out and everything works out fine and but but at the moment they they are concerned and i don't want to see the idea that neocon elements and everything they've been involved in in the past somehow goes un unpunished and there's there's no kind of retribution for you know, what they've done and their involvement in the past. It's not, yeah, the Obama administration was an absolute nightmare and no one's going to doubt that, but plenty of things went on prior to that. I mean, let's, you know, classic example is who, what administration was in when we had 9-11. Yeah. Who was involved in that? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the most damning, shocking things that that's happened in US history or certainly modern history. Uh, what was the accountability for that and everyone who was involved in that? And so there's all those kind of things that and I think eventually, of course, all being well, those things will get dealt with as well. But you know, we, otherwise, the, the, if they don't get dealt with, then you're just going to have the, the Democrats smashed into oblivion and totally humiliated, disgraced. And the elements within the Republicans, if they, they weren't dealt with, they're just going to go carry on like regardless. And that can't be allowed to happen. And I'm not saying it will be, and I'm optimistic it won't be. But the longer it drags on and we don't hear, you know, the, the narrative's all about the Democrats, all about the Obama administration. And, and no doubt the focus is on that because of what's now transpired with all this surveillance that was going on at the Trump campaign. And undoubtedly it needs that. But at some point, the, the, you know, the, the spotlight needs shining on everywhere. And if you're going to drain the swamp, it has to be in totality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it has to be. Paul, here's something that's been tickling in the back of my mind for uh for for me for a little ball, and that is um Mohammed Ben Salman. He has not been seen since the April twenty first gunshots, multiple gunshots heard in the Saudi palace, has not been seen anywhere. What is your take on that? Is MBS dead? Is he wounded? Is he in hiding? What is going on? What
1: are your thoughts? Well, actually, yeah, like? I talked with this on, uh, on Monday with C. Oh, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. No, I mean, the, the issue is well, and you rightly point out is that uh, what exactly happened? And we don't know. I mean, certainly he seems to have disappeared off the radar. It's not clear um what went on with regards to that well maybe it was a coup or maybe it wasn't a coup attempt there's lots of different things there was well it was a drone strike then there's other people saying no there was an actual coup attempt now there's a lot of uh talk about the fact that the the deposed crown prince there's concerns that he might try and start a you know another coup and then there's an idea that a lot of the saudi royals are not being allowed to leave because there's a fear of a coup happening and there's disgruntled people abroad making rumblings about uh, coups and i don't know that but the question is yeah it's one of three things he's either in hiding he's either been deposed as the crown prince or you know he's dead i mean i think very crude terms those are the three possibilities now he might well just be in hiding he might well have just disappeared off the radar but he's very you know publicity seeking no doubt about it and I think as I said to CJ the thing that interested me um, particularly was the fact that um, the Saudis made the comment uh, regarding the US embassy in um, in Jerusalem and actually came out and really sort of savagely criticized the fact that US had moved it there and denounced it and said they wouldn't you know recognize that as um, as being a legitimate move well that is very out of sync with with mbs's attitude when he's been you know cozying up and with the with the israelis and trying to put this big date on together even though we know they've been you know allies for a long time but publicly doing so and going out of his way to you know to to sort of charm the the us in the process so why why suddenly has you know, Riyadh made these really pretty contentious comments that, no doubtedly, would have upset uh, the Saudis and, uh, sorry, the Israelis and the US. So, yeah, it remains to be seen. But obviously, if he has been deposed or, or worse than that, then the question is, what does that mean for Saudi Arabia? And the the, the question is, we don't know. I mean, we know King Salman's very pro and pro-China. Does does that mean that you know, that would start to? Uh, Figure more prominently. Do we really understand what what's going on between Saudi and and the Chinese in terms of the Petro Yuan? Nothing's absolutely clear at this stage. But yeah, it's it's very strange that he was always wanting to hog the limelight, like he's disappeared now for over four weeks.
0: It really is. It really is. Paul, what is your take on uh, the Iran situation as more rhetoric is is coming out? towards Iran. I mean, the other day we had uh, Pompeo speaking about the Iranian sanctions, um, talking about even a potential strike on uh, Iran. What is your take?
1: Yeah, it's funny, actually, because yeah, we, we talked about this with CJ as well. Darn um, it, I'm I, late to the party! They've something funny, Paul! <laughs> I mean, let's, let's kind of be quite you know, brief about this, because we don't want to kind of cover everything we covered on Monday. I mean, yeah there's there's a lot of rhetoric i the bottom line is the the iranians are not going to count out to to the us they're not going to back down and why are not they going to back down because even if the european union walks away and you know and then buckles under pressure at the moment they don't seem to be but they could buckle next week next month we don't know if they don't buckle then then it's you know all bets are off and and you know their rotation east to 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 the russia and china is a given at some point anyway but it will just accelerate it hugely and in the event-driven scenario that's a massive massive step in that direction but if european union walks away the one thing they know is they've got China. you know we've said this many times they've got china's back or china's got their back economically and russia militarily and neither of those nations is going to allow the nation to collapse there is no doubt there is a big move to try and create a regime change. I mean, there's a, the, I mean, there's a Twitter, you know, thread about Iran regime change, and there's a, probably a lot of bogus accounts created to give this idea that half the half of the Iranian population wants regime change. There's a big emphasis, and that's always what it has been, and that's why I get rather concerned because we know for decades that's been the, been the idea is to have regime change in Iran, and you know. Pompeo, if people argue, maybe he's just saying things, maybe it's rhetoric, but I don't think I've ever heard someone without actually saying we want regime change, but everything he said on Monday pointed exactly to that. That is rather a disturbing development because the one reality is they won't succeed and all it will end up doing is alienating the US more and more. And, and we come back to the point from my perspective, yeah, it's one thing smashing the dollar and and ending the cabal, but it's another thing alienating everyone in the world in the process. Don't do that. And you know, and what they're doing in terms of Iran is not going to. They won't succeed. They won't win. Iran survived it in the seventies or the late seventies. Obviously, the eighties, nineties. They're far stronger now, and they've got far stronger allies. So, so therefore, it's just a a completely. It's a fool's errand to believe that they're going to affect any change. in in that regard and um so i think the rhetoric will carry on i think we'd be arranged to be seen what the european union really does end up doing i mean they're, they're talking tough and and there's enough suggestions to say they'll stick to that because the problem of course is if the european union caves in, then 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 there's a lot of vultures inside the european union who are desperate to see the end of it you know if they cave in and collapse they the ramifications could be catastrophic for the european union because that might be the straw that breaks the the european union's back in the process because they made such a big play of trying to uh, to support this and keep the whole jcpoa initiative going
0: yeah absolutely um, paul what is the big things right
1: now on your radar well actually i what think is keeping one of the Oh, nothing keeps me up at night. <laughs> yeah, even, even when I hear some outrageous things. That uh, so I'm I'm,
0: no. I'm afraid to ask you some of these topic questions because uh, you probably already covered it on Monday. No, so no.
1: I don't know what to ask <laughs> no, no, like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the things that you know you've got listed was this whole cracks in the global economy, and we we absolutely know. I mean, yeah, we we tend to pick on the U.S. a lot. Principally, because it has the, re- the world's reserve currency and but all Western nations to varying degrees are in meltdown. I mean, their economies are f- uh, fake Their their unemployment rates are way higher and there are systemic problems that can manifest themselves. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like if some major problem starts in Europe and it consumes Europe, it'll consume obviously at the us and north america and so on and so on in the process and and those cracks are becoming chasms everywhere and yeah that they'll keep propping everything up as long as they can and and they can keep propping markets up they can drive the dow and the FTSE and the dax and everything to infinity and but economic reality is biting hard and and you you can only do this so long and of course ultimately the question is once the dollar is rejected That it's game over because they can they're not going to be able to pump trillions of dollars when no one will accept them. And but I I I came across something interesting which I think highlights kind of beautifully the problems that that nations like the U.S. are facing. I mean, we all know the U.S. has got their strategic petroleum reserves. I'm not. No one's going to exactly say potentially. I think you can have up to hundred and sixty million barrels in it. Well. This may surprise people, but recently they sold 700,000 barrels of it to pay for a, partly to pay for a two billion modernization of the underground salt dome cavern system along the US Gulf Coast. Now, if they're having to sell you know the strategic petroleum reserves to, to pay for something or pay a down payment on something that's a two billion modernization, what does that tell us about the state of the economy? I mean, that is that is as dire as it can get. So, and that's you know, it's all over. If you if you go to the UK, I mean, the retail sectors in in freefall. And go to the average high street, half the shops are bought, you know, there's no body up, there's no one there. That the the economic reality is killing the Western world simply because Japan told everyone. If you have QE and zero interest rate policy for more than a few months, you're going to kill the economy stone dead. Uh, the other obvious thing is that uh, you can't have raise raise interest rates now because you'll kill a debt based economies. So yeah, the, the whole idea of the cracks in the global economy, undoubtedly, absolutely it is. But you know, this, the U S markets all go, yeah, you know, they'll fall 400 points and everyone goes, Oh, it's the beginning of the end. And then, and then what do we find? the, the DASBA was well it was i'm not sure where it was it was back over twenty five thousand again i'll keep manipulating it and whilst somebody will accept dollars and, and the problem is increasingly that is not the case and the exchange stabilization fund is buying up all these dollars because no one else wants them that that's the reality so it's kind of so there's all these off book dollars that like are, are sort of and then how how do they handle those how do eventually the the wheels will fall off in totality and it won't just be in the US and ironically of course it could be some contagion effect in Europe that that is the trigger for it and then brings everything else down in the process never mind the culmination of the reset but the one thing with the reset is or the culmination of it could because we are in the middle of it is it's event driven no one can stop it it's it's a it's a train that's just going to keep chugging along and when we reach the end of the event-driven scenario then that's then then we have the culmination of it because i you know for me i kind of raised the point well let's say for argument's sake trump has the midterm i mean the last thing trump wants um is the us economy to do a 2008 on steroids just before the midterms because no one's going to forgive him and he's going to get blamed and how many people are going to then vote for the democrats just on the basis that they think he's wrecked the economy and my thought process is well is there anything that could delay the this event-driven scenario and and maybe you know if something was i'm not saying it's going to happen by the way because i don't know but for argument's sake if it was to happen around the time of the midterms is there any way that it can be stalled and and the is no so i'm not saying it's going to happen then but if it was going to happen It's not going to get delayed to stop um trump um being steamrolled in the midterms if if that scenario ever came to pass so it is a it's a train that just will chug along and when the dominoes have all been flipped then the final switch is pulled and that's the end of it and that's the death of the dollar and the end of the cabal in totality and everything else is part of that event-driven scenario that's happening so yeah the cracks in the global economy have been in place for a decade since well nearly a decade since the 2008 crisis so nothing's changed and and they'll just paper over the cracks rather like the european central bank and what they're doing i mean they're still you know they're still making qe purchases. i I don't even know what they're buying anymore i mean mean, what are they buying bonds in it it's debatable i mean (laughs) what's left because i think they've exhausted all the sovereign debt but yeah it's just the same old same old and uh, and it will keep chugging along so that's why the stock market's irrelevant yeah i wouldn't worry about the, the stock market all there'll be absent flows the, the eventually we are, it will capitulate but it will only capitulate at the ninth hour when when everything's about to go you know the, the culmination of the reset basically
0: sure absolutely paul my final question to you unless you've already answered this on monday <laughs> <laughs> The situation in Israel, you know, the uh, there's a lot of controversy now that there's, uh, I mean, people are holding up uh, uh, pictures. Uh, these are Photoshop pictures of the, uh, the new temple that they've been wanting for God knows how long on top of uh, the Alaska mosque. And uh, the situation there is getting really intense. What's your take on that? Unless, of course, you've already answered this on Monday with
1: CJ, Paul. <coughs> <laughs> no, no, we didn't. <laughs> All right, we good. didn't go. <laughs> <Why do> we... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I think Israel is is in a very well is in a very precarious position. I think there is no doubt um, that um, Netanyahu's own. Just let's talk about it domestically. I think he's under more and more pressure. There's been. From what I understand from someone I know who's there, there's been a lot of demonstrations against uh, Netanyahu. People want rid of him. They don't want him, you know, here in in power anymore. So there's all the controversy and all the, you know, he he may of course he denies all these allegations, but the allegations aren't going away, and neither are the investigations. Right. Um, so undoubtedly, I think internally he's got major problems. There's no doubt um, that the uh, that he certainly is starting to feel more and more isolated in the middle east i mean and you know this uh, the banking on the us to back him up over over iran is is futile i mean we saw the situation where, yeah there was an israeli response but but there was at least 20 missiles were fired into israel and hit targets in the Golan heights region and and the Israeli response was pretty mute, really. So I think it's a realization <clears throat> for all the bluster that <clears throat> there's nothing they can do anymore. I mean, apparently, I think somewhere there was <clears throat> some, I don't know, whether it's, somewhere in the Senate, maybe, I don't know, Congress, I'm, I'm not sure it was, He was trying to draft a bill that the U.S. recognizes the Golan Heights belongs to the Israelis and it's, you know, even though we know historically that the Israelis confiscated the Golan Heights of the, right. the Syrian, and why do the Israelis want it? <clears throat> because there's but the most really ginormous, yeah, point. yeah, but also there's the, the biggest enormous oil reserves. Correct. The Syrians have got more oil reserves than the, uh, than the Saudis. Yeah. And, right. that, of course, it is. Yeah, it was the energy pipelines, also the oil. So, so yeah, I, I think they're just more and more, it's becoming more and more fractured. Um, and, and regrettably, from, from the average Israeli standpoint, I, the question is, Netanyahu's policy is doing nothing to help them, the average Israeli you know, citizen. And, and I think it is, I think internally, he's very stretched, he's very vulnerable and isolated, I think, increasingly. Yeah, OK, the U.S. is supporting him to, to whatever extent that is. And there's all this controversy. Well, what, what does the U.S. really mean? Well, you know, they certainly supported him over over the business of, of Iran. And we know that all the evidence he produced was evidence the IAE have had for years. There was nothing new in it. But it was used partly as a justification. And also, obviously, the massive controversy of, of moving the U.S. embassy to, to Jerusalem. Um, there is a school of thought, and I think there's some validity to this, that by doing it, it's, it's forcing the hand of, of the Israelis and the Palestinians to resolve the two-state solution. I, I don't think, currently, I don't think anyone in the Israeli government's going to do anything about it. And do you know what, truthfully, I don't think anyone on the Palestinian side is. I think there's elements in both camps who, are, who like things to be the way they are and don't want a two-state solution. Because it's rather like North and South Korea. When that resolves itself, the warmongers are going to go. Oh, hang on, we have no purpose here, and everyone will say, "Right, we'll pack up your bags and go home." It's the same if the Israel and Palestine issues dealt with in a mature, sensible, adult fashion. There's going to be a lot of people who got a lot of vested interest to see this the madness carry on there. And that, of course, when that um, when that ends, they've got no justification or vindication to to carry on doing what they're doing. So. And I don't, I don't see. And I think Trump made that point to Netanyahu publicly. He said, do you really want peace? And I think Trump knows the reality of things. I, Again, though, I think part of the Iranian thing is, and it's rather like the Syrians, Trump cares deeply about people. And I think he's very easily duped into the humanitarian side of things. And that's why he'll make decisions. That's why he went into Syria and said, OK, let's Let's launch this, uh, you know, missile attack because, yeah, Assad has launched chemical weapons against his people. And he's horrified by that. And okay, we can all sit there and go, well, we know full well that wasn't the case. But it's always the humanitarian. angle. if you ever hear Trump talk about the nation, he does focus a lot on the humanitarian side because he does care about people. And I think, you know, that's his strength. But it's also been he's been manipulated and it's been made to be partly a weakness. And it's not a weakness in him. But it's a weakness in how his direct people are able to manipulate his thought processes about what needs to be done in certain parts of, of the world, particularly the Middle East. But I do I, I think I think you know Israel is becoming weaker and weaker, and the question is, are they going to lash out? I I don't I just don't think that's going to happen. I think there's a lot of rhetoric, but what are they going to do? I mean, if they try to launch a, an attack on on Iran, the U.S. is not going to back them up. There's no way. And, you know, I think when push comes to pull, when it really, really matters, if Netanyahu had some idea of launching some serious attack against Iran, the U.S. will actually do everything in the Trump administration to stop him doing that. Or any other, you know what you might term an attack on it may be in syria that's just totally disproportionate to what they've done not that where anyone's justifying the missile attacks that have happened so far by any stretch of the imagination but something on a completely different level i think the the trump administration that go that's a bridge too far we're not going there i think if i think even the the, the hardest line elements within the trump administration who want regime change they want the iranians to do it they're not going to go in and do anything military yeah they'll try and squeeze them economically and they'll try and do everything to to have a more you know sympathetic administration inside tehran that they feel then they can utilize because really at the end of the day their biggest fear is that they're rotating east they're rotating to the russians and the chinese and they're going to de-dollarize and and you know here's the point when when did things really explode? Is and it always happens. We had Gaddafi, who said, I want to go back to African Dinar. We had Saddam Hussein, who goes, I want to sell my oil in euros. And then we hear the Iranians go, we're dumping the dollar and trading in euros. There's always a precedent. If you threaten king dollar, then that's that's the tipping point. And I think, really, that's what it's about. It's the whole preservation of, of the dollar. Well, of course, if they want if they want nations to keep king dollar going, then don't do what they do to them. And that's the irony. Walking away from the JCPOA is going to only accelerate the very thing they want to prevent. And that's, you know, people will disagree. And I know people have disagreed. with me. But the whole one of the big points about the JCPOA was precisely because they went. If we walk away from this and we don't do anything with the Iranians, OK, there's the risk. The Iranians will make enrich Iranian make nuclear weapons. Well, OK, there's a po- there was always a possibility of that. But it's more to do with the fact they recognized the iranians will dump the dollar they'll go and trade with the russians and the chinese and we can't afford to then be having to look at sanctioning some nations like china in the process because they want to trade with the iranians and they were terrified that because they know even they know if the dollar dies they're finished now there's a lot of people inside the US who never believe that's going to happen, but certainly elements within the Obama administration believe that was a, a real distinct possibility. That was one of the main driving reasons behind why the JCPOA came about. Now, there's this whole argument whether all these little side deals going on and you know bribes and kickbacks and all this sort of thing. Well, there's no evidence to suggest that happened or didn't happen. But the point is that's not really the issue. They're all just side sort of little side issues that don't really reflect on what the whole issue. Yeah, okay, maybe things did happen, maybe they didn't. The reality is it came about because the Obama administration went, the dollar's going to get killed. And if the dollar gets killed, it's game over for the US. That was one of the big motivations that came about. Whether anything else happened on the side is, for me, is largely irrelevant and is not a reason why, the deal was broken or should should have stayed in place but the rest the fact the rest of the nations including russia and china particularly if you want to call the eu and the uk france and germany cabal nation the chinese and the russians aren't so why do they want to keep the deal going because after all who benefits the most whether the deal stays in place russia and china if the deal isn't in place they benefit even more so why are they so keen to keep the deal in place uh, because they're not cabal nations everyone knows that definitively so that that's where the whole argument there was some big grand cabal deal in this there's no way china and russia would have ever signed up to that yeah there may have been some and i'm sure there's other international things that have happened in the past where you know there's backhanders there's strange deals get side deals going on but that doesn't actually make any tangible difference to the actual deal itself it's not it's not a deal maker or a deal breaker if those things happen or don't happen. But as I go back, if you think Russia and China are cabal nations, then fair enough, they're part of the grand conspiracy. But then we know they're not. So why do they want to keep the deal going? Because they're better off with the deal debt. But they're fighting tooth and nail to keep the deal going. That's the question. If you believe there's some grand cabal conspiracy, well, please answer that question. If people have got a great answer, I'd like to hear it. But thus far, no one's given me any answer to explain that that big, huge question mark that is unanswerable. Absolutely. Very well said.
0: Paul, we're at the end of the program. Um, closing comments and how can people follow you? Um, in fact, probably everybody on here is already following you, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well obviously yeah it's the the and yeah everyone knows we have the podcast if you want to subscribe we'd like you to and you know please consider doing so we we we've actually things have gone off in a even in a bigger dimension than we've had previously because literally we are drowning in stuff that we could cover on a daily basis so 10 to 15 minutes is now 15 to 20 minutes and the truth is i could probably do a two-hour podcast every day yeah. not that i would do because people would go mad and no one wants to listen to me rambling on for two hours but the point is it it's the acceleration of what's happening and all the events and that's what we do and we don't discuss things on here that we put in the podcasts i mean occasionally maybe months later i'll make some reference to something but we don't do that because people pay for a service and we wouldn't you know, do that to them but yeah we'd appreciate if you'd do that and, uh, and to subscribe. Um, and obviously, we have the well. Increasingly, we don't really use the Facebook page, but we've got the Twitter account, which we've used a little bit more intensively than we used to. And obviously, we appreciate everything that Rogue Money's done by having us come on then every week. And it's always an absolute pleasure to uh, to be on. And it was great. CJ got in touch, said, "Have you got some time?" And it worked out well. So, yeah, we you know we uh, we always love doing it, and uh, it's always you know really good. And, and fun to do it as well. And it's great to be able to discuss all the things that we do. And thanks very much as ever.
0: Absolutely. And with that being said, guys, we we're all done. I think at one o'clock, we might have the uh, guys over at road coin, come on uh, with the crypto trades. So keep it tuned over here. With that being said, we're over and out. Take it away, CJ.